0: Okay, so this morning we're going to start with Romans 15, and if things go according to plan, this will be the next to the last lesson in our two Romans series. The first series we did was Romans 1 through 8, where we answered the question that Paul is asking and answering, what is righteousness and where does it come from? And of course the answer is faith, it comes from faith to faith, righteousness Comes by faith, and of course, he's answering some people who are claiming that righteousness by necessity includes the law, and he concludes that, well, no, not really. In uh, one through eleven, I said one through eight, one through eleven, In one through eleven, righteousness. Uh, if you try to seek righteousness through the law, you don't get it. But if you seek righteousness through faith, you obtain it, even if you're not looking for it, which he uh, he came up with in Romans ten. So, now we've got righteousness comes by faith, but faith is the evidence of things not seen. So, if we're going to get righteousness through something we can't see, that's kind of hard. And so, in 12 through 16, he's giving us some very tangible examples of what it looks like when it's happening. So, this isn't, this isn't how we get it. This is just what it looks like. And so, today, we're going to do the last of the pictures... And this picture is when, when you see righteousness happening, when it's being exhibited, what it looks like is Jesus. That's what it looks like. And so we looked at 12 where it showed us, well, what does righteousness look like? It looks like a body. It looks like the members of the body all working together in harmony and unity to make the body function perfectly. And in chapter 13, we saw that righteousness looks like a self-governing community where the government has the rule of law that punishes evil and rewards good. But within those boundaries, people love one another and voluntarily cooperate. And we saw that God gives authority. It comes from Him for government. And we talked about how we as the people who have the ultimate authority in our particular uh, construction of government, have the ultimate accountability to make sure that good is rewarded and evil punished. And when you have politicians that say one thing and do another, it's our job to fire them and get somebody else. And then in 14, we saw that righteousness looks like a company or with, where everybody's looking to the same boss. There's no conflict about who the boss is. And in our particular company, the boss is Jesus. And Jesus will be the one that gives the performance appraisal. Except instead of every year, it's at the end of our life. And we shouldn't be spending a lot of time giving each other performance appraisals because we're not the boss. And now we come to 15... And we'll just start here in verse 1. Then we, we then who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His, his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall have hope. So, of course, we're focusing here on Gentiles because this letter is written to people who are mainly Gentiles. Gentiles believers, we learn in chapter 1, whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And why not? Because Rome is the center of the world at this time. So what happens in Rome gets talked about over the whole world. And these folks here are being blessed through the fulfillment of the promises made to the fathers. So that's what he wants to have happen. He wants them to have these truths actually flow out into their lives. So... We then who are strong, go back to verse 1, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So, and, it, and we also said, even, even verse 3, even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse 7, therefore receive one another just as Christ received us to the glory of God. So, Jesus did something that we want to copy. And it says here what Jesus did is please his neighbors. Now, of course, in our context of our using words, when we say, I'm going to live in such a way that I please you. Okay, I'm, my my goal in life is to please you, Dave. That's what my goal in life is. I want to please you. What do you process automatically in your mind is about to happen? If I say that. My goal is to please you. You're going to do, I'm going to do what he wants. Okay, so what What if What if Dave says, oh, okay, well then today I want a birthday cake. So says, it's not your birthday. I still want a birthday cake. Okay, well then I get you a birthday cake. And he says, I don't like this birthday cake. I want a soda pop. So now what do I do? I get him soda pop. And he says, this soda pop doesn't taste good. I want a motorcycle. <laughs> okay. So, where, where are we headed? Now, and, and, and you know where I'm going with this. If you've been around children, and you parent them in such a way that you please them, and they get to define what pleased is, this is the way life works, right? Because... Because what they are actually pleased by is controlling you. And what kind of child do you end up with if you go down that track? A brat, brat. yeah. Who likes to be around a brat? Well, that's not what this is talking about. Because look, it says not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So let me just show you this word good. It's the Greek word agathon. And let's look at Matthew 12:35 so we can get an idea of what this good looks like Matthew 12:35 by the way, I use that example with Dave because that's kind of what happens around our office a lot He's a high maintenance <laughs> It's all those years in the army. Okay, um, verse 35. A good man, this is the same word agathon, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. So a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of evil treasure brings forth evil things. So this is like virtue versus evil. Uh, Integrity versus corruption. Okay. So we're we're talking here about good character. So what what we want to do is is invest in other people for their benefit so that they can have good character. Look at look go back to Romans 15 verse 7. Therefore receive one another just as Christ received us. Well, how did Christ receive us? While we were yet sinners. And then he then goes about saying, well, now what do you want, right? What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. Not exactly. There's some people that teach that's what he does, but that's, that's not what we've experienced, is it? He gives us what is in our best interest. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Look at verse 3. Even Christ did not please himself, but it's written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So here's Jesus doing what's in other people's best interest for their good, and what does he get? Reproach. Right. So if you tell someone the truth and it's not something they want to hear, what do you get? If you discipline your children, what do they say? I hate you. And they, they, they slam the door, right? You know, all my friends have parents that love them. You hate me. So this is the way life works if you're focusing on the best interest of other people. However, we started with bearing the scruples of the weak. And we looked at this uh, in, the, in the chapter 14. We looked at this as uh, people who have weak faith actually uh, believe that they got to follow rules. And so we're to meet people where they are. So we meet people where they are and bring them one step forward. So what does that look like? Let's actually just look at some things that Jesus did, since he's our example here. Righteousness looks like Jesus engaging with other people. Let's just look at some of the categories of people he engaged with and what it looks like. So let's start with the Pharisees. And what you'll notice in each one of these, he engages, meets them where they are, and then he gives them some kind of challenge, some kind of choice that they need to make. And he always does it just the right way in the right time. It's never the same. And it's never focused on him. It's focused on the best interests of these other people. And this is, this is what righteousness looks like. This is what we want to strive for. Let's look at Matthew 23, verse 13. And we'll look and see how he dealt with the Pharisees. These would be the religious leaders. The the most uh, esteemed people among the commoners were the Pharisees. And so, how do you speak to and engage with the most esteemed people in public? Verse 13, Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, if you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You kind of get the point here, right? It's not very nice. But why is he doing this? What are you, blind guides who say, uh, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing, etc.? You, you, you actually yourself are blind. Well, he met these people in a position where they were. He gives them a rabbinic dialogue. This is what they were. They're teachers. They're leaders. They're in the public square proclaiming. So he met them in the public square and proclaimed. And he's engaging them where they are, with their authorities. He's engaging them as a fellow authority, and he's challenging them. And they killed him for for it. Okay, but this is one of the places he did. He engaged authority when it was wrong publicly, took them to task, and then and then suffered for it. Okay, so there's a t- to go back to Romans thirteen. Okay? when we've got authorities that are saying one thing and doing another? That's hypocrisy. And it's our job to call it out. And I'll tell you from personal experience, there'll be persecution associated with that because they have power and they'll use it. But if we want to stand for righteousness, we'll do it anyway. Well, let's look at the kind of the other sort of uh, end of the spectrum. What about sinners? How did he engage with sinners? Let's look at Luke 19:1. It's a very interesting passage, Luke 19:1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So in this time and Place. if you're a tax collector, who are you collecting taxes for? The Romans. And if you're Jewish and you're collecting taxes for the Romans, you would be considered not only an unpopular person, nobody loves the IRS, but you're also considered a traitor to the nation because you're taking from God's people and giving to this pagan invader. And... The tax collectors got rich because the way tax collecting worked is you bid a percentage that you get to keep, and you get to kind of keep a percentage of whatever you collect. And so, if you the more you collect, the more you make. So it's kind of a kind of a it's kind of a sick system where taxes go up. Essentially, the more oppressive the tax collectors are, so you gotta understand why everybody hates the tax collectors. And so he's a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd because he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. I know everybody's got the song running through their head, right? (laughs) And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for I must stay at your house. Now this is an interesting engagement, (laughs) isn't it? Uh, So... But look look at what's happening here. I need to stay at your house. Does that remind you of something? Does that remind you of another verse? Uh, let's just let's just go over and look at Revelation chapter three real quick. So I think there's a I think there's a, a you know a physical parallel happening here, Re- Revelation chapter three, and this is in the lukewarm church. Ch- Revelation three verse uh, twenty. And let's just start in, uh, uh, let's see, 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's talking to a church. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So he's knocking. I, I, it's kind of like in apparently in Uganda when you knock. What what is the what is it you say when you knock in Uganda? What is it? Cody Cody. Cody, Cody. Yeah, you yell out Cody Cody, and everybody come in. So it's it's something like that. That you know. Hey, would you like for me minute? There's no electricity at this time. No doorbells, right? So um, yeah, he if you hear and say yes, uh, come in. Then there's an opportunity to eat with Jesus here. Well, that's what's going on with Zacchaeus. He meets. Zacchaeus is interested in who this is, and he says, "Hey, I'm gonna. I need to stay at your house." And so, verse six, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when he, they saw it, they all complained and said, "He's going to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. What's he doing that for?" Well, now again. He's breaking the social norms. So first of all, he's defying the authorities and all of their prestige that they generate and saying, you know, what you're doing is not true. And what you're saying is not right. Well, actually, what you're saying is right, but you're not doing what you say. You're a hypocrite. And now he's coming and saying, you know, I'm going to eat with this sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord... Look, Lord, half my goods I'm giving to the poor, and if I took anything by false accusation, I'm going to restore him back fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So against societal norms, he meets Zacchaeus where he is, and he gives him a, a challenge and a, decide, and a decision. You want to let me come in your house? You want me to, let you, you want me to invade your life? And and challenge everything you you do? And Zacchaeus said yes. It's interesting. Zacchaeus said yes. The Pharisees said no. And not just the sinners who are tax collectors, who are males, but the Samaritans who are women. So he's getting more and more radical here, meeting people where they are. Because apparently everybody is somebody he wants to engage with. Let's look at John. Chapter 4, verse 7. So here he is in Samaria, and a woman of Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it you being a Jew ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? You can tell who the Jews are by the way they dress and so forth. Jesus was a rabbi, so he would have been dressed as a rabbi. And... Rabbis don't talk to Samaritans, and they probably don't talk to Samaritan women double double folk. And here's Jesus meeting this woman right where she is. Now, some people point out that this is midday, and the norm was to show up like in the morning or evening to get water because that's when the cool of the day. And so some people surmise that this is an outcast woman coming in the middle of the day because... Uh, she wouldn't be there to be scandalized by other people or whatever. That's, That's possible. But for sure, she's very willing to engage with Jesus and say, Why are you talking to me? Aren't I beneath you according to your way of thinking? because uh, for Jews had have no dealings with Samaritans then verse 10 Jesus answered and said to her if you knew the gift of God and who, who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water so you're asking me one question but you really should be asking me another question if you knew who I was you'd ask me a different question you're asking me why am i talking to you what you really should be asking is would you give me a drink because I, I asked you you ask me to give you a drink, you, you should really be flipping the tables on me, because I can give you a drink that won't won't end. Living water. Living water is running water. They're probably here at the cistern or the well. So well would you rather have well water or running brook water? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where where then do you get that living water? How are you gonna We're out here in the desert with a well. Where where are you going to create an aqueduct here and cause living water to happen? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. But the water I give him will become a fountain of water springing to everlasting life. And the woman said, Yeah, give me this water so I won't thirst and won't have to come here to draw anymore. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband to come here. Her, she all these little things give her to do. Give me a drink. Have an engagement. Make a choice. Engaging her where she is. Does this sound familiar in your life? Is Jesus always engaging with you and challenging you and giving you a choice of what to do next? But she says, uh, I don't have a husband. So said, well, you said, well, I have no husband because you've had five husbands. And the one who you're now with is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Good job for telling the truth. (laughs) So this is engaging to people for their good. Now, in every one of these cases... Jesus could be criticized. And he most certainly was with the Pharisees. Like, why is this your business? Why don't you leave me alone? And what you'll see is that when the people reject him, he just says, okay. Goes on, goes on about his business. He doesn't, he doesn't batter the door down. He knocks on the door. And people invite him in, and then he invites in. So, the way this works is we engage with people we see that if we can challenge them to move forward to their best interest, and if they're not interested, we disengage. This isn't this isn't nagging. This isn't this isn't uh, becoming annoying. Well, it is becoming annoying. But it's not. But it's it's not trying to overcome people's choice. But so Jesus engages with the sinners. Look look at Luke chapter nine. See how he engages with the disciples. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, Luke chapter 9. Verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. This is the Muhammad Ali part of the... Bible. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and and said to him, whoever receives me, ah, I know what the problem is. Turn to Mark chapter 9. It's amazing that that's in Luke chapter 9 too. I was looking, where is that? Okay, here we go. So look at Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, their headquarters city. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he'll be last of all and servant of all. And then he takes this child, and he says... Whoever receives one of these little children, my name receives me. So John says, yeah. But you're not talking about just anybody, right? Receiving a child. It has to be us. Because, you know, like we saw this guy on the road preaching in your name. We told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. And Jesus says, don't tell him to stop. If If he's not our enemy, then he's our friend. Yes, in fact, anybody can do this. So all this dispute you're having among one another, uh, you actually all are about like this child. And if you'll receive the child, then you'll be great, and anybody can do it. So just bring them down, notch, 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 notch. Bring them down, down, down. And then, you know this uh, Gehenna over here, this place, the the garbage dump, where everything's burning and the carcasses are smoldering all the time and the refuse from the cities over there. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you're going to live like you're in there. So, here's what I want you to do. Verse 49. Verse, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, verse 50. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Be a pleasing sacrifice to God and have peace with one another. That's what I want you to do. Or you're going to end up in this cesspool out here. So, he chops them down to size. And then he gives them a very stark picture and then he says serve one another that's what greatness is it's it's serving children and it's serving one another that's what greatness is hard words to hear but he's meeting them where they are he's giving them things they can understand but notice he engages with them in what they're concerned about which is who's the greatest you want to be great i'll tell you how to be great serve children So, this is how we're supposed to be. This is what righteousness looks like. That, that, means, that means we're going to have a lot of people that don't like us. Because we're always looking to move them forward. The opposite is to say, how can I get you to like me? What is it I need to do to engage with you that will help you like me? Birthday cake? Soda pop? Well, what is it? Because I, I need you to like me. Well, no, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I need the boss to like me. I'm not, I'm not worried about performance appraisals, you and me. I'm worried about performance appraisal, God. And I want. I want Him to like me. And to do that, I want to serve you. How can I serve you? I need to understand where you are. And I need to see if there's something I can do to give you a challenge to move forward. And maybe you can give me a challenge to move forward. How about his parents? Remember his parents? He's 12 years old. He engages with his parents. He, he's, he's not, he's not uh, disrespectful, but he asks his parents an interesting question. Didn't you know I'd need to be about my father's business? Why were you worried about finding me? Wasn't it obvious where I was going to be? I'm doing my father's business. You, can, would you Can't you be kind of sympathetic for Mary and Joseph? What would it be like to be Jesus and his brothers? How would you like to have Jesus as a brother growing up? <laughs> Goody two shoes, right? What? Interesting, to him After that, uh, it said that he went back and then followed his parents. Ab- absolutely, and was in favor with God and men. He's done all things well. They said exactly right. But see, he's on a mission. So that's that's the key thing here is. So what we all tend to have is a mission to get as many people to approve us as possible. And that's not the mission here. The mission is to please God by serving up as many people as possible. And we engage, we understand, and we see, you know, is there something I can help to move this person forward? Is there something I can do to help help this person take a step forward? Let's just look at how he engages with his brothers. Let's see here. I've got this as John chapter 9. but Oh, yeah, here it is. John chapter 9. Uh, sorry, John 7. John 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. He didn't want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Jew, Judea. Jew is a person from Judea. So... Uh, so now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while his, himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So if you think you're so big, go down to Judea where they want to kill you. Ha, 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 brother. You know, just The typical brother talk. And Jesus says... My time's not yet come, but you know what? Your time's always here. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify its works are evil. (laughs) You go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast. So what you have is a time you can always choose. I'm in the world of light, you're in the world of dark. In the world of light, there's certain things that are proper times for me to do things. But if you're in the world of dark, you can choose at any time to come into the world of light. Why don't you make that choice? (laughs) His own brothers. But he's not nasty to them. He's just meeting them where they are. They want to talk about this. He engages with them about it. Gives them an invitation. That they refuse at this point. But ultimately, we know that his half-brother James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. Well, how about the multitudes? The multitudes, he taught them, he preached to them, and he healed them. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, he's meeting them where they are. He's giving them a physical, meeting their physical needs so they can understand the opportunity to have their spiritual needs met. And he's just meeting them where they are. Look at another interesting one, though. Herod, look at Luke 23, verse 8. Luke 23, verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, this would be what not Herod the Great, but one of his sons. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he wanted to see some miracle by him. So, Herod really enjoyed magic shows, and he wanted to see a magic show. And then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now, isn't this interesting? For this guy, Jesus would say, nothing. No interaction whatsoever. We uh, have been to Israel four different times and one of the times we went was with a guy that was trying to give us kind of the Jewish perspective on things. He's with a group called Follow the Rabbi. He's as non-Jewish as you could possibly get, but you know they're just trying to put themselves into the framework. And he said the Herodians were those Jews who Fully embraced compromise with the Romans. Full, he said, that especially the Sadducees. On you know days where there's a big game or a, or a big festival of some kind, you, you couldn't go get any priestly service because they'll all be at the horse race or the or the gladiator game or whatever. Because they just fully embraced Roman compromise. And, and, and that was his explanation for why he would have nothing to do with any Herodian. Because there's no basis to begin with. You've already fully corrupted yourself. There's, there's no basis to even start. Don't know if that's the case or not. What we do know is he would answer him nothing. This is a guy who got zero, uh, zero um, interaction. Now we know another Herod did get some interaction from Paul. And, you know, he had a, the episode in Caesarea Phil, uh, no Caesarea by the Sea where he st- gives a speech and everybody says, the voice of a God, not a man. He didn't glorify God and worms ate him up and he fell over and died. Uh, we know another one of the Herods uh, cut off John the Baptist's head. So these guys are exceedingly corrupt. And my, my takeaway is if there's no basis... On which to help someone move forward, you don't bother. It's the pearls before swine principle. You know the pearls before swine principle. Uh, it, I'm going to give it in kind of Texanese. Uh, don't don't uh, feed a coyote uh, raw meat, or get in a pen and take a nap with a pig. Because if you do, you're just going to get uh, you're just going to get rolled over in the mud and squashed. Or you're going to get your hand bit. Okay, it's a little chiasm. Dog, pig, pig, dog, and that, and, that the, the, and the the idea is just don't, don't waste your time on somebody that has no interest. It's just not it's not worth the trouble. Invest your time with people that have some, some you have some inkling, maybe willing to move forward, and then if they take that, then help them move forward again. Because again, we're all on a mission. We're not trying to figure out who can serve us by, by giving us affirmation. Well, how about the Romans? We dealt with two different Romans. Let's look at uh, first the centurion. Matthew 8, 5. This is really a fun one. Matthew 8, verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, again, this is his headquarters city, just to the north of uh, Sea of Galilee, he says, uh, uh, a centurion, which is a Roman leader, uh, like a, a, a battalion leader type guy, came to him and pleaded with him and said, Lord, my servant's lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, Well, I'll come healing. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy. You should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I, I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me and I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I understand authority. So you have authority, just do it, just say it. And I don't want to get embarrass you to my you know rabbi coming under a Gentile's roof and stuff. I, I get all this stuff. Just say it. It's good enough. And Jesus heard this and marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In other words, why can't you have faith like this guy? This guy is awesome. Mr. Centurion, you are fantastic. Keep, keep that up. You're doing a fantastic job. And I want to elevate you as an example to all these supposedly godly people. Follow this Roman. That's what we're after, faith like this. And he tells the centurion, done. Well, now this is interesting because what he's saying to this guy is, keep it up. You are doing exactly what needs to be done. Live like that. A life of faith. That's great. And of course, to the most unlikely of all people, to the Jews, it's like, "What? What? well, Roman is good and we're bad. Well, how can that possibly be the case? Well, he says not only that, in verse 10, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. And I say to you, many will come from east and west. Not, Ju- not from Jerusalem. East and west. Uh, the Assyrians. The Babylonians. The Romans. And sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Sit down at the table of honor. And a lot of Jews are going to be standing up in the outer circle. Even some are going to be out there weeping and gnashing their teeth. They're going to be excluded from the banquet of honor. There's going to be no honor for them. They're children of the kingdom, so we're not talking here about heaven and hell. But they're not. we're going to have Romans and Babylonians honored while people in Israel are dishonored. Why? Faith. So live like this. So he takes an opportunity to exhort a guy who's doing great and turns around and exhorts the people, be like this. And here's the consequences. You know, there there is a time... Oh, and let me do Pilate. Look at John 18, the, the other Roman. John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas um, and... Let's go down to thirty three. Then Pilate entered the Praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Why do you want to tell me why you want to know? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom's not in this world. See, we're talking ruler to ruler here, right? You're a ruler. I'm a ruler. So my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. We would, we would duke it out here. We'd have a war if I had a physical kingdom. But I have a physical kingdom. I got a spiritual kingdom of things that are way, 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 way more powerful than just not being put to work at this point in time. If you're a, if you're a Roman ruler, are you not shaking in your boots right now hearing that? Well, he did, in fact, but he's given a choice. Do you want to succumb to the spiritual realm or do you want to grasp your own power? Sadly for Pilate, he chose to grasp his own power. Well, Jesus is what righteousness looks like. Jesus engages with people on a basis of where they are and he looks for opportunities to move them forward so that they can so that they can uh, have be edified have their character built for their own good now we were trying to think of any instance where Jesus just went to people and said look I just need help the only thing we could think of maybe you can think of something else the only thing we could think of was the garden of gethsemane Where he goes to his disciples and just says, Look, I'm at the end of my rope. I am totally out of gas. I'm on the verge of death. And I just need you to be with me. Just be with me for a while. That's all I'm asking. Just be with me. I need some help. If that's the only time, isn't it sad that he didn't even get that? (laughs) He just didn't even get that. But he he didn't let that deter him from serving his mission. So Jesus is on a mission. And he's not going to be deterred from his mission. And his mission is to engage people where they are. Give them truth, knowledge, if if they're in a position to receive it. That's appropriate for them at the time. And give them a choice to move forward. Because he's trying to build other people's character. Now for us... We have a difference, don't we? And that we need to be recipients of this as well. Because we have the body. So, I think the, the admonition for us would be to live like Jesus in seeking the best for others. And also to have the humility when other people approach us to listen. And to realize, hey, you know, there's something I need to learn. Even if they don't have proper motives... There's, there's likely something we can learn from that. Because at the end of the day, the big thing here is this is not self-centric. It's not self-elevation. What it is is service. And of course, it's by faith the ultimate elevation. Because what Jesus tells us is he wants us to share this throne of his with him. Let's just end by going to Philippians chapter 2 and just get, get in mind with this mission what it looks like. Philippians 2 chapter 5, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. So this is the mentality he had when he's on his mission and he's engaging with all these kinds of people. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. So he went from a most exalted place in the universe to just an ordinary man. And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he now becomes obedient to his Father to the point of death on the cross. Therefore God, therefore... Because he was obedient on the cross, God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name. So he already had the name that was above every name outside the realm of man. But now he has the name above every man, name within creation as a man because he walked in obedience. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess. And Jesus says, I want you to have that same mind so that you walk in obedience to the point where I take you to my Father and say, look what, look what this guy did for me. Look what Herman did for me. Look, look, look what Dan did for me. And he can say, I'm going to lift you up and help, say, you know, I want you to help my son. Because I want to elevate you. I will elevate you. Have this mind. We're on a mission. And the mission is serve others. And all the elevation won't come from us manipulating other people. It will become because Jesus says, you did exactly what I asked you to do. I will lift you up. So this is what righteousness looks like. It looks like a body. It looks like a self-governing society. It looks like, uh, see, what was 14? A company where everybody understands who the boss is. And it looks like Jesus as he engaged one-on-one with people. So we have unity and diversity. All right, thanks God for this uh, lesson. Uh, What a challenge to be like you and to have this mind, to be mission-minded people. Pretty tough for us who are so self-centric. But God, would you please strip away our self-centrism and help us have perspective to see, to see where others are, see how to engage them effectively, and to listen when we're engaged by others as we seek to grow ourselves. I pray that you'll give us this power of your spirit that we may be lifted up and elevated to become like you and to seek the kind of approval that you gained. In Jesus' name, amen.